From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As the number of confirmed coronavirus cases grows in Australia, hospitals are gearing up for a spike in admissions. Today, we speak to Dr Nanad Mikesic, an infectious diseases physician who works at a major hospital in Melbourne. He tells us how our doctors are handling the pandemic and what the future holds. We'll be covering a different part of the coronavirus outbreak every day this week, from the economics of panic to government failures and the hunt for a vaccine. This is part one, The Frontline. Nanad speaking. Hi, Nanad, it's Ruby from Schwartz Media. Hello. Hi, how are you, Ruby? I'm good. How are you going? I'm well, thanks. Um, are you ready to start? Mm-hmm. Cool. Sounds good. And we're all good here? Great. Okay. Um, so, Nanad, you work in infectious disease in a major hospital in Melbourne. Can you just start off by telling me a bit about what your job involves? Yeah, so... Infectious diseases is a little bit different to other sort of fields of medicine because what we deal with a lot of the time are things that are emerging. So as opposed to you know being a cardiologist where generally the conditions that you're going to see are sort of relatively well defined, for us every couple of years there's a whole new challenge that arises and, and that we have to contend with. Um, and we go through this process of first not knowing much about the disease at all, um, then not knowing how far it will extend, uh, and uh, then we sort of gather knowledge and, and it becomes uh, part of our repertoire, if you like. But that's that's one of the sort of crucial differences um, to other fields of medicine. Okay, so Nanad, when did you first start to hear about coronavirus? Yeah, so there was already in November, I guess, uh, mentions of this novel coronavirus uh, in, in China that had emerged. Uh, and so I think my initial response when I heard about this uh, new coronavirus was that uh, it was likely to be contained uh, regionally. In, but once we started to see thousands and thousands of cases in really the industrial heartland of China that's globally connected to almost all regions uh, in the world, I think that's when the alarm bells started to ring. Mm. Tell me about how coronavirus started to change things at the hospital that you work at here in Australia. There was one afternoon in early February where our regular meeting was cancelled and instead uh, we offered to revisit uh, donning and doffing of PPE, which is personal protective equipment, which involves masks, gowns, gloves, uh, as well as goggles. And that was really something that was quite out of the usual. The last time that we had to do that was during the time of the uh, Ebola epidemic. And I think at that point, we, that was the sort of first signal that we were going to enter this sort of cascade events uh, in which we find ourselves today. And when did your hospital get its first coronavirus case? I would say about three weeks ago now. So far, the cases that we've seen have not been particularly severe. They've not required things like ICU admission. But clearly, given the reports overseas, we are bracing for an influx of patients with, with more severe disease. So far, what we've done is place these patients in um, negative pressure rooms, which basically means that the air is sucked into the room and does not spread to other parts of the hospital. Obviously, these rooms are single patient rooms that are isolated. And 
I think the biggest sort of issue is also testing of suspected patients. So, um, so far in several hospitals, uh, we've had to set up clinics or that we've referred to as fever clinics um, where patients that are suspected of having coronavirus are being assessed. Um, and this has created a, a huge amount of workload and has a lot of downflow effects on uh, things such as our pathology systems. So it's had quite far-reaching consequences for the hospital as a whole already. Mm, so what do you think is going to happen next? Yeah, so I think we've been lucky in Australia because we've had uh, possibly some lead time um, compared to, uh, for example, um, some of our Asian neighbours such as Korea or Japan and also uh, compared to our colleagues in Europe. And I think we've tried to use that time really to prepare as much as possible for a variety of scenarios. And some of the things that we've been trying to plan ahead for is, you know, what are we going to do if there are five patients admitted with coronavirus? What if we need to admit 50 patients or 500 patients? And, and how are we going to cope with that? Nanette, how do doctors on the front line feel about our level of preparedness at the moment? Yeah, so I, I think doctors on the front line I think us as infectious diseases doctors, we've obviously been on the pointy end of this because we've had to start seeing these patients make decisions about who should be screened, who needs to be isolated when they're a suspected case and that kind of thing. But as the number of patients grows, we're going to see the effects ripple out to the rest of our medical colleagues. And I think at the moment we have definitely had things under control but obviously there are a lot of anxieties about some of the scenarios that could emerge and especially when we look towards what's been happening in Italy that's created a lot of anxiety for people because you just have these reports of um, the Italian hospital system being overwhelmed with a number of, of cases that they're seeing and so what we're trying to do at the moment is figure out from a staffing perspective how we're going to contend with those scenarios how we're going to change um, our staffing arrangements uh, to avoid burnout. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. We're talking about frontline services dealing with coronavirus. Can you tell me about the risks and the implications for doctors and nurses who are working in hospitals? By being in contact with patients that have coronavirus, unfortunately, there is a risk. We do our best to mitigate that risk through uh, use of personal protective equipment um, as well as isolation of patients in the hospital. But unfortunately, none of these procedures are really 100%. Not to mention the fact that there are also just the risks that the general population um, are experiencing and, and healthcare staff, you know, have to be commuting to and from work um, and, and probably 
will end up having a lot more contact um, with the population at large as well. So there's a sort of additional risk from that perspective. Nanette, I'm also interested in understanding the differences among the different parts of the medical community uh, about how this pandemic should be treated. Yeah, well, I think the challenge is that we are so early on in terms of our experience with with this virus, uh, and we can try to apply lessons from previous epidemics or pandemics, uh, but there are obviously very, very significant differences. And in some ways, what we're sort of experiencing now is is a, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Um, I don't think that we've seen anything like this epidemic in living memory for us, and uh, this is an unforeseen challenge, really. So as a result of that, uh, people obviously do have differences of opinion, um, and because we don't have the experience that there isn't uh, a huge amount of data that we can use to guide us. Uh, and obviously, we are always trying to use the best evidence to, to, to guide our practice. But here, we're having to deal with a situation where that evidence just isn't available to us. When patients coming into hospitals now in Australia, um, having tested positive for coronavirus, are they receiving medication? Are they being intubated? Like, what is it that's actually happening? It is too early uh, at the moment to have any definitive data about what therapies we should be using. And so in order to best understand what we should be doing, any kind of therapies that we give, we're going to be trying to do within a randomised clinical trial. Already there's been an effort in Australia to launch a trial that looks at hydroxychloroquine, uh, which is uh, was originally a drug used for malaria treatment, um, as well as ritonavir lopinavir, uh, which was a medication used for HIV but was also found to have activity against SARS. Uh, these medications may have some activity against coronavirus. Uh, and because these therapies are investigational, we want to give them to patients, but we want to do it in a structured way. And so there has been an effort uh, to launch a trial across Australia where patients are randomised to receiving some of these therapies. And what we're trying to do is really answer what is the most effective therapy that we can give to patients. What impact is this going to have on our hospitals and our health system more broadly? There's already a significant impact at the moment um, just because of the impact that it's having on services, the, all the testing that's going on at the moment. Um, and I, I think at this point, it's very difficult to predict exactly what trajectory Australia will follow. I, I think in a, a best case scenario, we will see additional cases. Obviously, we're going to see um, a number of patients hospitalised and, and possibly have severe disease. But what we're hoping for is that the hospital system is not overwhelmed by this influx of patients. Um, in a worst-case scenario, I think we, we can sort of look towards what's happening in northern Italy where they're having to make some very difficult decisions about uh, which patients to treat and also um, how they're going to allocate their resources. Um, and uh, we're definitely trying to avoid that sort of situation. Um, and so considering those sorts of different scenarios, we've uh, had, had to really reconsider how the hospital potentially may need to run as a whole um, and how are we going to create that extra capacity to accommodate these patients. And one of the things that I, th I think is emerging is that we are probably going to see disruption to some regular medical services as a result of this. So non-essential things like outpatient clinics, for example, um, elective surgery, uh, all of these things may actually end up 
having to take a back seat while we deal with the influx of patients with coronavirus. And unfortunately, we don't have a good sense of how long we will be dealing uh, with this pandemic. But I think we are bracing ourselves for anywhere from three to six months or possibly longer. Nanad, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure, Ruby. Thanks for checking in. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. The government response to the coronavirus outbreak continues to ramp up. During a press conference last night, the Prime Minister announced that from midday today, clubs, pubs, cinemas, casinos, nightclubs and places of worship would all be closed. Restaurants and cafes will be limited to takeaway sales. The measures have been introduced in order to enforce social distancing and they're expected to last for six months. The Prime Minister said that the health advice for schools hadn't changed and they would remain open. However, parents who wish to keep their children home may do so. The Prime Minister has also advised against all non-essential travel. The government also unveiled another round of economic measures to buffer the economy. The $66 billion package includes a temporary doubling of New Start, allowing people to access up to $10,000 from their superannuation and small businesses' loans up to $250,000. Not-for-profits and small businesses with a turnover under $50 million will receive a tax-free cash payment of up to $100,000. And the AFL has cancelled the remainder of the AFLW season and postponed the men's season until May 31. Meanwhile, the NRL announced yesterday that the season would continue as scheduled. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.